Amen. years, we have uh, worked this sound with no problem. Seriously, no problem. And then uh, when Satan couldn't hit us anywhere else, he just said, mess with the, with the board. So Lord, Father, we come before you, and as this thief steals, he steals from this soundboard. Father, I pray he gives us sevenfold so we could get a better soundboard. Jesus' name. I want to read, by the way, in case you didn't know, that was from the Lord. That was from the Lord. That's exactly what he had laid on my heart, and I just so wish I would have recorded it. (laughs) Did somebody record it? Okay, good. Good. I want a copy of that. Because that is the Lord's heart. I want to read again what I read earlier. He had literally just given me, and and I didn't know what it was going to be for, except then Brooke put her hand on my back, and and I thought, am I supposed to say something? And then the Lord said, yes, I gave it to you. You know, do I need to spell it out for you? And then she started talking again, and I thought, okay, I missed my opportunity. And he, he said, well, you're the pastor, so you can step forward. <laughs> so, but I want to read it again. I want to read it again. We all know this passage. This is Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and it goes like this. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and praise you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you that you have opened up lines of relationship that we can then connect with you. We thank you for your precious Son, whom that relationship goes through. We thank you, Father, that even as we come and we seek you this morning, We can claim your word that promises we will find you. Lord, I I ask as we come before your courts right now, I ask you to look at our hearts. Everyone here this morning, everyone online this morning watching, Father, look at our hearts and see that we seek you. We desire you. We desire to know you more. We desire to dive deeper in relationship with you. All of this in preparation for that one day when we're with you. 
I pray, Father, that every word out of my mouth this morning is yours and yours alone. I pray that none is tainted with my own words or my own thoughts. You know, Lord, as, as I say this out loud, for their benefit, I have given you my mouth. I have given you my heart. I have given you my mind. Bring into my mind only what you want. Because we seek you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I feel like there's been so much conversation about warfare and so much conversation about that battle, right? The battlefield and, and, and what we have to deal with day to day to day. And, and I recognized this even last week. Um, it, was, it was afterwards and then especially Tuesday night. And I, I, I kept thinking, Lord, help, help our minds not to be fixed on that, but help our minds to be fixed on what they're supposed to be fixed on, which is him, relationship, love, right? Sometimes we get so involved in the warfare of things, we don't recognize the love of things. We don't recognize why we're in the warfare in the first place, right? And, and believe me, I get it. I, I was built to be a warrior, I was built to be that person that you, you watch on these movies where this person can't seem to do anything else because they need to be at war, right? You watch all these war movies. Anybody like war movies? I love war movies. Only a few of us. Well, that's all right. Everybody will attain that level of relationship at some point. <laughs> but I was always the one that... When, when I see a need in, in, in this idea of warfare, I jump in, and oftentimes I jump in without thinking. <laughs> I remember when Alexis and I were first married, uh, or a couple, maybe three years into our marriage, we'd moved up here to Delaware, and, and we were in a town home, and, and uh, it was about two or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we hear this ruckus outside, and it's just like noisy. What, what in the world's that? And, Look outside and, and uh, you know, I'm not dressed and, and look outside. And there, there must have been about 20, 25 people. And they were all beating up this kid. I mean, beating him to death. And, uh, and I just, I remember my first thought is, that's not right. <laughs> Had no idea what was going on or anything else. And, and so I started getting dressed and Alexa looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I got to go help. So I remember grabbing a bat, not even thinking what's going on. I grab a bat. I'm in bare feet. I think I had shorts on. I can't remember. I'm running out there, and, and, and I'm carrying this bat, and, I, and I'm getting closer, and I'm thinking, that's a lot more people than I thought it was. <laughs> what in the world are you going to do to this? And so the wiser part of me slowed down, and I, I was maybe 20 yards from him, and I just slowed down and stopped, and, and praise God, he took it from there. He had him, he, he had him notice that maybe I was a witness or something, I, I have no idea, but they, they noticed and they dispersed and they let it, they left this kid alone, and it, this kid was just, he was in tough shape, but point of that, sorry for the story, the point of that is oftentimes we look to immediately engage in a fight. 
And, and that's a very natural thing. That's when, when you see somebody hurting, when you see somebody just being beaten up by the enemy, what do you want to do? You want to jump in, you want to help. You want to engage with them. And, and that's good. But we can't forget that that's not what it's all about. It's about love. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about loving Him. That's why all this stuff is going on. See, this is not the end goal. This is the training. We, we keep saying we're in training. We're kind of in training to be in training. Because if all of life is training, then we're kind of training for the training. Does that make sense? Right? All of this life is training. All of this life is drawing closer to Jesus Christ in relationship so that when we are with Him, we can be conquerors to be with Him and serve with Him in His kingdom. That's the whole reason why He leaves us on this earth. So we can draw close to Him, so we can know Him. So the real reason is love. The real reason is relationship. And and. And we're going to go to Acts. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Because this next section is a perfect example of how God looks at our heart. And then he takes control. If we let him. If we let him. Right? Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says this, and I'm just going to read through this whole section, probably down to uh, either 19 or 22. But, but Saul, still breathing threats. Now remember, remember where Saul was at at this point, up through where we've been in Acts so far. Saul was against the church. He was against the bride. He hated Jesus Christ. He was just the, the one who, who uh, looked over the stoning of Stephen, he was this zealous Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees, right? As, as he explains later. But he, he, uh, he is now going after the church. He's going after them and, and putting them in prison and seeing others stoned and, and going after their lives. So that's, that's, where Paul, that's where Saul is at at this point. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what, that's what it was known back then, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Israel. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So you can imagine, picture yourself, I, I love to do this when... When you're reading the Word of God, picture yourself right there at the scene. I've told you this before. I, I, I love this app. The, the um, What's it called? The Bible app that talks to you? version. Yes. I love the version, and, and specifically in the New Testament, I think it's the New Living Translation. If you listen to it, they have different voices with different people speaking, and it's literally like listening to a story. It makes it so easy to place yourself in that story. So as I'm reading this, I want you to place yourself right on that road. Okay, Saul's walking right near you. You're right on that road. You're witnessing everything that happens here. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He clearly recognized that it was not a man. He clearly recognized this was something supernatural going on. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, the men who who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and by the way, it doesn't say Saul saw anything either. So you can imagine, picture yourself in this situation. This bright light just encompasses Saul. You're watching this. This bright light comes in. This voice comes out. You know, and Saul, Saul says, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're going after. Right? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he was blinded. So they they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You can imagine what was going on in his mind. See, you've got to remember, Jesus didn't take the time to say, Hey, Saul, go ahead and sit on the rock there. Let me explain to you what's going on here. Right? I'm the God of the universe, and I'm going to tell you what's going on, why I stopped you. He didn't do that. He just said, hey, why are you persecuting me? Get to Damascus, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. (laughs) You can imagine how Paul must have felt, and above all else, he's blind. This guy who could see is now blind, has to be led to Damascus. So again, put yourself in his place. For three days he was without sight, neither ate or drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. (laughs) You can imagine he was praying. (laughs) He's like, Okay, I don't know what just happened, but help. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Wow. That's extraordinary. Talk about conversion. You know, how, how many in here have had a conversion like that? <laughs> Nobody. That's extraordinary. There's reasons why it was extraordinary. Let me just read a few more verses, because then it kind of says what Saul did after that. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. See, God looks at the heart. God looked at the heart of Saul and saw that here was a man that was going after what he thought was God. Now you have to recognize, before Jesus came, the way that Saul was raised, the way that Saul was taught, was God. Right? He was taught under Gamaliel. He was taught by the best of the best. These were people that, that knew the law, that trained and taught in the law. So, so Saul was not coming from a perspective of, I hate God. Saul was coming from a perspective of, I love God, and I am his vengeance against this liar who says he is the Son of God. See, he got one thing wrong, and that is that Jesus truly was who he said he was. But his heart cried out to the Father that he loved truth. Even though he didn't know what the truth was. He loved truth. He loved God. So what did God do? Okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you exactly who my son is. I'm going to show you in this extraordinary way. Why? Because I have a calling on your life. And when he did that, wow, imagine the paradigm changes that Saul, who then became Paul, went through. We think we've had some paradigm changes. But recognize that it didn't mean that his entire history was erased and he started again as a baby. And, and I mean baby mentally. No, it said within a few days... Within a few days, he was in the synagogue telling them Jesus was the Christ. And by the way, here's the proof. Why? Because he knew the scripture. He just had to have that one thing, that one little link that showed him Jesus was the Christ. And that link was Jesus himself when he met him on the road. Then Paul turned from this zealous Pharisee, going after God, became this zealous, non-Pharisee, Christian, going after God. 
See, nothing changed. He loved God in both cases. What changed was the recognition of Jesus Christ who came as a man and died on the cross for our sins. And he recognized that the thing that he thought was future tense had now been past tense. But see, his heart didn't change. His heart went after God. How often do we do that? I could tell you in my own life, my heart was after God my whole life. I remember even when I was off track, I I remember in high school, I I went to a legalistic high school and, and we were at a legalistic church my early part of high school and, and, you know, I thought that was God and I got into that and, and of course I'm saved and all that and, and, you know, with a zealous heart, I would go door to door and tell people about Christ and tell people that they're going to hell without him. Probably not the best way to approach that, just saying. But I, I had a heart for God, even though my direction was wrong. Do you see? The information I was gaining was correct, but it was misapplied. See, in your life, how often do you gain the right information, but it's misapplied? It's misapplied often because of control. Often because we want to control the information. So we pull in what we're supposed to do. And, and this is, this is uh, just the fundamental pieces of legalism. We pull in the information, so we apply the information almost as a stamp on our life. So that's what I did. When I was in high school, and if you can imagine this, right? I I was in high school. I went to a Christian school, legalistic school. They made us sign a paper that we would not do certain things. right? And I I may have told you this before. We, We had to sign a paper we would not go to movies. We had to sign a paper that we would not listen to rock music. We had to sign a paper that we would not, you know, here's a whole list of things that's going to make you a good Christian if you don't do these things. Do you see, the information was good. The information was correct. It was misapplied. It was misapplied because it was missing the very thing that would give it life. And that's Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean that that in my case it was missing the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed that. I, I accept Him as Savior at nine. What I didn't recognize, what I didn't put into place, is the fact that it was a relationship with Him, is how all those things were to be applied. Now, I've said this before. If I were a legalist now, man, except for the hair, I'd be doing really good. Right? I, I mean, I, I, I'm very careful about the things that I do. I'm very careful about the things I take into my eyes. I'm very careful about the things I take into my ears. I'm very careful about the steps that I, I walk. See, if I, if, if I would have been that way back then, I would have been really a good legalist. But see, it was misapplied back then. So why is it important now? It's because it's applied in a different way now. See, I know in relationship with Jesus Christ, if I am growing in Him and I'm understanding this relationship and, and loving Him and letting Him fill me, 
The last thing I want to do is take a lie into my mind. The last thing I want to do is, is let my mind be filled with something that I know the enemy has control over. And, and the same thing happened with Paul here, or at this point, Saul still. See, Saul had had these years of training. The information was good information, but it was misapplied. So with that one paradigm change of understanding that Jesus was the Son of God and He offered relationship outside of the law, it changed everything. And immediately, within days, within days, He was in the synagogue proving that Jesus was the Son of God. By the way, that, that's an interesting study. If you ever want to do it, an interesting study to prove Jesus Christ is the Son of God from the Old Testament only. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. So that's what he's doing. He, he had this paradigm change like, wow, the person that I've been going after this whole time is the very one that I was expecting. And never saw it. So how about in your own life? You pursue Jesus Christ, but do you pursue him because he's real to you? Or because you're part of a family that does it? Or you're part of a, a calling, maybe. You want to feel part of something. See, the information can be correct. But if you don't apply it to your own relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't have effect for you. See, he sees your heart. He knows if you're wanting to go after him for him. And then he promises when you seek him, you'll find him. When you knock, he'll open. Right? So how hungry is our heart. That's why in Ephesians 6, it says to guard your heart. That's what the armor does, the breastplate of righteousness. It guards the heart. Because in the heart is where all the decisions are made. Your relationship with Jesus Christ, it is not made in your mind. The decisions you make are made in your heart first. Because otherwise... You could go after Christ and you could just misapply the information. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. Please understand, that's why it can be so confusing. That's why Satan can get in there and he can twist things up so easily. Because by applying information, you can apply the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and he now now sits at the right hand of the Father, you can believe that and be justified before God. You can be saved. You can have your ticket to heaven. But it is your relationship with Him that requires taking that information and applying it to your heart. And Jesus said, He hates lukewarm. I've been reminded that of so much lately, especially in my prayers, because the Lord has just had me praying for the brotherhood, which is crazy. But he said, 
I would rather that you're hot or cold. Because I can't stand lukewarm. In fact, lukewarm I want to spit out of my mouth. Now if you apply that, what he's talking about is our heart. See, a cold heart or a hot heart is a passionate heart. It's simply the direction. Do you see? That's what Paul was, or Saul. He was a passionate, cold heart. That's what he was. See, God said, I can work with that. I can work with that. I'm not afraid. Jesus is like, I'm not afraid of them not loving me. I'm afraid of them just being passive. I'm afraid of them being lukewarm. I'm afraid of them being okay with where they're at. And isn't that the bride? See, the bride's okay with where the bride's at. And that breaks my heart. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. So let me look online maybe. I don't know. (laughs) The thing is, he has so much to offer. He has so much to offer, and it's not by the information that he gives to give you a better life. In fact, he he promised some of the opposite. What did he tell Paul? Saul, I keep calling him Paul. I'm I'm ahead of the game in calling him Paul here. But Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, I think that's extraordinary because I don't think that phased Saul at all. I'm just going to call him Paul. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I don't think that phased him at all. Because, see, he was already in a life of giving up. Because his heart was not a Pharisee because he wanted political gain except for outside of what position that would give him. His heart was in it because he was for God. So when the Lord showed him who he was, who his son was, and he said, I need to tell you some of these things that you're going to deal with in your life, I can imagine Paul's reaction to that. Okay? See, because in his paradigm already, this life was not the end. This life was the training ground for the real life. See, they knew that at some point the Messiah would come and bring his kingdom. That's why they didn't believe Jesus was him, because they thought his kingdom was going to be right there on earth right then. But see, what Jesus had to do was he had to come and he had to pay for sin first. He will come again. He will come again and will bring his kingdom to this earth. And what they thought was going to happen 2,000 years ago will happen. So understand it wasn't the information that Paul was off on. It was the application of that information. It was that little paradigm where he was off. So when he heard that he was going to have to live this life full of difficulty for Jesus. That became a a badge of honor. He even talks about it later in, in his epistles. That that became a badge of honor for him. 
when he would have to go through something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we look at life like that? I don't know. As Americans, I don't think we do. Do we look at an honor to be able to go through something for Jesus? If you have a friend in your life that you share Christ with, and you have a negative reaction, or even someone at work or whatever, you have this negative reaction. In fact, you even have a hate reaction. And you suffer for that. You suffer because you stepped out and you did that. Do you regret it? See, oftentimes we do. Oftentimes we do. We regret things that the Lord tells us to step out on because our paradigms are incorrect. Our paradigms are of this world. Our paradigms are that this world is the life. But if your paradigm becomes relationship with Jesus Christ, then just like Paul, you'll look at that and say, that's a badge of honor. That you would actually use me to do that. Praise God. And what happens because of it? Well, praise God again. Because that's not God and that's not me. That's the enemy. And if I am upsetting the enemy enough to go after me like that, then praise God. Lord, do what you want. That's a difficult paradigm to really take on. But see, that's what he says to you in relationship. When he says he wants to build a relationship with you, it's not all flowers and beautiful things and la-la through life and everything else. If it was, then Paul really got a bad deal. <laughs> I mean, he really did. That's really unfair. But see, that's not what it is. And by the way, that's not joy. That's not peace. That's a covering over of the truth. True joy comes when you're in relationship with him. You're placed into a battle. You stand in obedience and you trust him. Because he said it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that doesn't make sense. Right? It's, it's not one that we can put a label on. That's why I have peace, because I just got a check for $10,000 I wasn't expecting, and it pays all my bills, so I have this peace. No. The supernatural peace is the peace that you have before you get that check, and you have all these bills due. You say, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but it's on you, it's not on me. See, that's how we feel about this building. This building that the Lord's promised us, we don't know how we're going to get it. It's $11 million building. Whether they give it to us or whether you've got to buy it, that's, that's a lot of money in there. I could begin to worry about that, and I could, I could begin a savings account. $10. <laughs> this is going to take a while. Okay? Or I could just be at peace. See, because the building was never my idea in the first place. The building was his. He's the one that took us there. He's the one that promised it. Lord, guess what? That's on you to provide it. And he will. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have a part in that. 
Because as Wendy and I were talking this morning, we have a part in asking. Just like Daniel was asking something for the children of Israel when he was. He, he took the words of Jeremiah the prophet and he applied them to his situation. And he went before the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm in your court and I use this as evidence. What you said through Jeremiah here applies to us. You are a good father. You give good gifts. So, Father, I claim this for the children of Israel right now. See, we need to be doing that. We need to be doing that for the building. We need to be doing that for the people that we fight for. We need to be doing that for these neighborhoods that are going to be around the building that we're going into. See, we're fighting for them. So we can go to Scripture and we can say, Father, you said right here. See, in, in, in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 43, he said, remind me, this is the Father, he said, remind me of what I have said, what I have promised. Remind me. Now, I don't know about you, that's, that's a tough one to get over for me. Because I'm like, seriously, Lord, if you don't remember, you know, how do you expect me to remember? Right? But that's what he says. He says, remind me of my words. So I struggled with that a little bit. I, I, for a while, I, I was wondering, okay, Lord, why, why do we need to out loud do that? And he, he said it was for the sake of declaration. Because, see, it can't just come from his lips because he gave us a right to choose. From the very beginning, when he gave us a right to choose, he gave us authority and power over our own lives. That's a tough thing. Because you can't just sit back and say, Lord, I choose you. Okay, take care of everything else. I'll just sit back. Watch the snowfall. By the way, it was beautiful yesterday. Praise God. Although the last time we got an early snowfall like this, we got nothing else the rest of the year. I declare against that in Jesus' name. <laughs> so I think I just derailed myself. So in the Lord needs our declaration because we're the ones with free choice. He needs us to say in his court, so the enemy hears it, that, Father, we claim this. We claim this because you said it. We declare it because you said it. We declare it out loud. So you can use it as evidence in your court. Because he's a righteous judge. He can only take what's laid before him. I've said this before, if you go to court and you don't bring evidence that you need to win that case, just because you're right doesn't mean you're going to win. Because it's what's presented in that courtroom. That's why prayer is so important. That's why intercessory prayer is so important. Because, see, some people don't know how to pray for themselves. Some people who don't know the Lord wouldn't pray anyways. So we can go to the court, we can be in prayer, in intercessory prayer for other people, and literally go to court and lay down evidence for them. 
Many times when we've been involved in deliverance, when we've had a seer looking into the court, we've been told that we need to begin speaking into the good of that person. Bringing good evidence to the courtroom of that person, that person's heart. Right? It's for the sake of evidence being placed before the Lord. Why do we just stop there? See, we have been stolen from people. Ignition Church has been stolen from. This building that God has promised us, we have not fought for in court. And it's the, the thief is trying to steal it from us. The same with your hearts and your friends' hearts and other people in here. The enemy comes to steal and destroy. And every one of you has gone through something like this. When God places you, let's say, in a job, that you know you're supposed to be there, but now all of a sudden you have things coming against you in that job. Recognize that is the thief. Now, it's one of two things. Either the Lord's trying to tell you you're not supposed to be there. Okay? But if you know you're supposed to be there and you're in the Lord's will and you can then claim 2 Corinthians 9.8 that he provides everything for it, but recognize the enemy doesn't want you there. So he's going to come and try to change situations. Try to bring people against you to keep you from being in God's will. We have to go to the court. You have to go to the court for your own life. You have to go to prayer and say, wait a second, he's not allowed to do that. I prayed yesterday that it, it, what the Lord had laid on my heart regarding the destroyer. He said, I want you to begin going to the court every day, and I, I feel he wants me to do it three times a day just like Daniel did, but go to the court every day and list the things that the destroyer as a thief has stolen. See, you look at the things in this, in this country, and he has brought thievery to this country. 60 million babies, 60 million plus babies. He has stolen from this country in abortion. You know, prayer in schools. He stole that from this country. I mean, most of you young people don't, you weren't alive when prayer was taken out of schools. Right? I remember prayer in schools. But the thief came and stole that. Now he's trying to break up the family. He's trying to take this gender, whatever you want to call it, confusion, and apply it to the family and say, however you want to classify yourself. See, that's the thief trying to steal. Because the last thing he wants is a strong family. Why? Because that's the unit God put together for strength. Because there's nothing, get this, there is nothing more powerful in the kingdom of heaven than a unified family in relationship with Jesus Christ saying completely yes to him. That's why I said, 
What will it look like when a group of people, a church, just says yes, no matter what? See, Satan, that scares him. That scares him. And, and he'll try and do anything to infiltrate him. He'll try and do anything to, to bring confusion. He'll try and do anything to, to discourage. So our reaction can't be, well, what's he doing? I, I don't know what to do. And it, it, you know, why, why can he do this? The reaction needs to be simple. Father, let me come before your court. I've got evidence. I need to tell you what the destroyer is trying to do. Or what this enemy to you is trying to steal. See, he's trying to steal my joy. The joy that you have given me. He's trying to steal that. And that's not right. That's not joy I produced in my own life. That's joy you produced in my life. And then the enemy is coming to try and steal that joy. But yet, we don't do that. Oftentimes, we just talk to our friend about it. Hey, want to grab some coffee? i got to unload. Right? And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Sometimes you need to talk some things out, but usually it's because you don't know to go to the Lord first. See, we can go to him and say, the thief has stole my joy. The thief has stole this from me, what you gave to me. And then you could go one step further. As a thief that's caught, he's required to pay restitution. And it's anywhere from fourfold to sevenfold. So I, I just go for the seven every time. Because if it's only four, that's fine. I'll take the four, but I'm going to ask for the seven. And then you could probably figure out somewhere in there the 70 times seven. I don't know. The point is, you can take it to another level and say, this thief who has stolen my joy, I demand restitution. I demand it. You're not demanding it, by the way, of the Father. Don't be afraid of that language. Don't be afraid to say, as you're praying to the Father, say, say I demand this. Because you're not demanding it from the Father. Do you understand me? Don't be afraid of that language. You're demanding it of the thief. It's kind of like being in a courtroom. Everything that is being said is to the judge, but it's for the purpose of the opposition. Does that make sense? Right? We're, we're wanting the opposition to know our demands. So I come before the court and I, I demand restitution in this. I demand sevenfold restitution. And then the Father has the right, which He didn't before, until it was asked, until it was submitted. But He has the right to take His gavel and slam it down on, the, on the, the, his, his throne and say, yes, it is law. And then guess what? The enemy has to give it. He has to. See, that's the difference between human spirits and demonic spirits. That we're dealing, we're learning to deal with these witches and warlocks and these human spirits. And it's, it's, it's different warfare. Because they don't have to play by the same game that the demonic spirits do. 
So when, when you, when the enemy takes something from you, you submit it to the court and it is righteous under that and the father says, yes, this must be done. Guess what? Satan has no other choice. He can't say no. Do you, you get what I'm saying? He can't say no. So I, I have submitted to the father that the enemy has tried to take this building from us. He's tried to take this and he has no right because it was declared by the Father in the first place. He has no right and we demand restitution of what he has tried to take. And guess what? We're going to get it. We're going to get it. That price perhaps will come off of the list price. I don't know. I don't know how I'll do it. I really don't care. It's up to him. I just know that we're supposed to declare that in court. We're supposed to declare that before the Father. In your own life, what you're going through right now, you don't have to deal with that yourself. Now, if it's sin, you turn from sin. But if you're going after God with your full heart and things are coming in your way, which they will and they do, you have a judge, a righteous judge. It said in Matthew 7 that how he is a good father and he gives good gifts. He is also a righteous judge that will render verdicts that are righteous. So when you bring something before him, you know, even little things in your life. Lord, I'm trying to follow you and and, and I keep running into these walls. I'm hungry for you. But every time I go to read my Bible, I'm exhausted. Every time I go to pray, I get a couple of sentences out and I'm asleep. Right? See, we think in our minds, okay, tomorrow I'll have a cup of coffee. Or I'll get up earlier, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. Why don't you first go to the court and submit evidence that the destroyer, that the enemy is trying to steal from you? Because you know what? Being tired is not a function always of sleep. You can, anybody in here sleep too much and you're exhausted. I don't know about you. If, if I get more than seven hours or right in there, seven, seven and a half hours, it's like, oh, all day. I'm like this. <laughs> See, it's not a function of, of sleep necessarily. Now, on the flip side of that, if I get three hours, I'm pretty tired, right? Although I'm good with adrenaline up to a point. So I'm, I'm not saying that that don't make changes in your life not to be tired. I'm saying... Go to the Lord first. Because that may be the enemy trying to keep you from the very thing that builds your relationship. It's the same thing even with understanding when I read the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, if it doesn't make sense to you, don't turn to something else. First, go to the court and say, say wait a second. Father, you told me, you're the one that told me to read your word. And, and I am really struggling to understand it. 
First, ask for the Holy Spirit. Because that's his biggest job, is to interpret Scripture for us. So say, Father, send me the Holy Spirit so that I might understand what you're saying to me in this Scripture. But then secondly, go before the Lord and say, this, this thief is trying to confuse my mind so I cannot understand this. I demand restitution. And you watch what happens. I, I'm telling you, my life's an example of this. You watch the clarity that you will begin to have in Scripture. You watch the things that you've read a thousand times all of a sudden. Wow, that's what that means. It happens. And it's extraordinary. It's because we have a real enemy that really comes against us. And our, our fight against them doesn't have to be this. It has to be this. Go before the Lord and say, He has no right. He has no right to break apart my family. He has no right to hurt my children. Because, Father, you gave those children to me. You gave them to me. I am their covering, and he has no right to take them. I demand restitution in this. See, that is your right. That's your calling. If the bride spent most of their time before the Lord, the bride would be so different. If we spent, that's why in Ignition we've always been and we always will be, as long as I'm alive, we always will be a church centered around prayer. And by the way, if that ever changes... I'm giving you permission right now to just tackle me until I yield. <laughs> It'll take more than one of you, just saying. <laughs> there you go. So, so when we become a praying church, when we are a praying disciple of Jesus Christ, that's the power. Because we can go before the throne and we could say, that's not right what the enemy's doing. I demand restitution. You know, you could almost take it one step further. I'm not suggesting this, but it's kind of, that's never a good thing. But when the enemy steals from you, you actually can end up better off than before. Am I right? I mean, if now you have something that's worth sevenfold more than what you had in the first place when he tried to steal then that's a good thing. The problem is that we don't recognize oftentimes it's the enemy. Because it says in Scripture, if the thief is caught. If you never go before the Lord, if you never go to court for what's being stolen from you, then he's not caught. He doesn't, he doesn't have to repay sevenfold. Not only that, he doesn't even have to stop what he's doing. He can be a thief and not be stopped unless we go before the throne of God and stop him. And we stop him through prayer. We stop him through, through saying, Lord, this isn't right. Applying your scripture, Isaiah 43, reminding him what he promised. 
You promised you're a righteous judge. You promised, Lord, that in, in, the, in the parable of the, of the widow that went before the judge day after day after day, the judge finally said, I'll rule in her favor just to get her out of here. And he said, how much better am I than that judge? Because he is a righteous judge. So he wants you to take that and put it back in his lap and say, you said, you said, you said, Lord, you said you give good gifts. You said when we seek, we'll find. When we knock, you'll open the door. You said, Father, remind him. Right? You know what? Turn to Isaiah 43. I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah 43. If it's not, then I'll cover it somehow. Yes. Let me read verse 19 first, just because I have it highlighted, and it's a great verse. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. But see, we're, when we're in the process of a new thing, oftentimes we don't understand that the new, the new thing still requires the same Prayer still requires the same going after. That's why he said this in verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Okay, this isn't a human saying this. This is the righteous judge. This is God saying this. He's saying Remind me, put me in remembrance of what I have said, what I have called out in my word that I want to give you. Put me in remembrance. I love the next part. Let us argue together. Okay, I I don't believe that word's argue. Let me look it up. I want to see what that word in the Hebrew actually is here. That word in the Hebrew, okay, yeah, it says a primitive root to judge, pronounce sentence by implication to vindicate or to, to punish. Okay, what, what it's saying there is let us speak together so I can then judge and pronounce sentence. So in other words, he can't do it if we don't speak together. If you don't go to him in prayer, he can't do that. So he says, Put me in remembrance. Let us speak together, argue together, this talk back and forth together. Set forth your case. He's putting that on our shoulders. Set forth your case. You want that building. I've promised you that building, the Father says. But one, remind me of that. And two, bring it before my court to prove your case. If the enemy is trying to steal, bring it before my court. And and by the way, it's as simple as going before the throne and praying and saying, Father, you are the one that promised this to us. And yet, there's a company that just signed a contract for that building. See, that's the thief. That's the thief trying to destroy, trying to steal. 
So, Father, I submit that that contract is against you in Jesus' name. And, Father, I am before your throne even declaring this right now. That that contract is against your will. Because you have stated that building is ours. So I declare that contract will go nowhere in Jesus' name. I demand of the opposition restitution sevenfold. So whatever that contract is for, I hope it's a long one, I demand sevenfold. I demand it to be sevenfold paid back to Ignition Church. You go before the Lord and you remind Him. You lay forth your case for the last part, that you may be proved right. The Lord wants to give us so much. He wants to fill our lives with so much. But we let the enemy lie to us. We let the enemy lie, and it, as long as I can come here, and, and I have some friends here, and it's, it's a good community and everything else, and I'm doing okay, and wow, is that all you want out of life? Not me. Man, not me. I want God's best. I want God's everything. And he offers that to each one of us. He wants you to have his best. But you've got to go before his throne and you've got to set forth your case. You've got to remind him of what he's promised you in your life. So that it may be proved right and he can slam that gavel down and say the building is theirs. Done. Here are the keys. He wants to do that in ignition. He wants to do that in your own life. You've got to have prayer as the most important thing. And, and this brings us back to where that focus is. See, Sunday morning is for teaching. We pray and we worship, but it's for teaching. Tuesday night is all about prayer and worship. But see, do you know and I hope you do because we've only said it a million times, that we have something every single night. Every single night in Ignition. We have this prayer call. And it's not about just doing your duty. It's about what we're talking about here. Why do you think we see what's going on in this country going on right now? Why do you think it's because every night... Every night, there has not been a single night that somebody has not prayed, shine your light, the light of your Holy Spirit, on the dark, recessed areas of this country. See, when we declare that, when we go before His throne and we say, You said, open up your books, Father, for this country. Open them up because this isn't how it's supposed to be. I remind you of your words that as a nation, when we, you, you promise that those who are good to Israel, you will be good to. Take that before him. Do you think that it hasn't been 
Why do you think now that Donald Trump is moving from, where, where is it? From Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the embassy, the American embassy. That is huge. Do you think, do you, and, and by the way, he's not the first one that said he was going to do it. Yeah, since 90, 1994. What's that? How many years is that? 20? It's a lot. It's older than at least half of you. All right? All right, here, here's the thing. They, all these presidents have intended to do it. Why do you think it's happening now? It's because people have gone before the courts and said, Wait a second. You promised that if we're good to Israel, you'll be good to us as a nation. So we want to be good to Israel. God, we laid this before your throne. When we pray for, for the light to be shined in the dark areas, don't be surprised that all these things are coming out about sexual harassment. And by the way, there's going to be a whole lot more. That, that's the beginning. That's, I, I thought it was funny how, how I began using this word on the prayer call of avalanche. And then all of a sudden you see it on TV, avalanche. This avalanche is beginning to come. It's, it's like a snow. I'm going to say it now. We'll see if we see it on TV. It's like a snowball that starts at the top of a mountain. And it just starts going and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally it just explodes down at the bottom. See, that's what's happening to our government. You're going to start seeing that happen in the bride, and, and, and we are seeing that happen in the bride. Because, see, we're praying the same thing for the bride. So don't be surprised when what you pray actually comes true. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be confused by it. Remind him of his words. Remind him of what he promises. And it's extraordinary. What he'll do. It's extraordinary. Because he loves each and every one of you with his whole heart. He doesn't just love us as a group. That word that he had for us before, where he said he was so proud and loved, it wasn't that he was proud of us as a group. We are a group, but he loves us individually. He wants each one of us to go after him hard so he can put us in the place that he wants to place us. But we got to get this understanding of prayer down because that's the literal vehicle in which we go to God with. And, and, and I, just in closing, I want to encourage every one of you, this, this prayer call that we do nightly, the power that's come out of it has been extraordinary, but it's, it's always the same people. We, we average about 15 people a night on the call. And, and praise God, because the, these, are, these are faithful people night in, night out are on this call. Why? Because we see results. How much more will we see as we gain people? kind of like going to court. The more witnesses you have, the better your case. The more witnesses we can take before the Lord on this prayer call, whether they're praying or not, it's not about the voices praying. 
It's about the unity behind the prayer. So it's like going to the court and saying, here's another witness, just lining them up. Father, here, here's a hundred witnesses we have on this prayer call tonight that are demanding restitution. You don't think the Lord hears that? You bet he does. He does, and he wants it, and he reminds us to remind him of that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we worship you and we praise you, Lord. And you are so awesome, God. We pray, Lord, that you do your will. I pray that you burn in our hearts this incessant desire for prayer. This understanding of coming before your throne and into your courts because we know things will happen when we do. Teach us, Father, just as you teach a lawyer to become a good lawyer. Teach us in our relationship with you how to pray and how to be good at bringing that evidence forth. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that you bless each person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Um, something Greg said at the beginning kind of struck me, which we've heard many times in messages, which are the, the lukewarm being spewed out of the mouth of God. And I was thinking about the, you know, the, the reality, the fact lukewarm concept and the complacency is really a place of deception because there is no such thing as complacency. Uh, Satan's either trying to kill you or destroy you, not just mess with you. He really does want to destroy you and kill you. Or if you're walking in the spirit, like Romans 8, you have to read Romans 8. It all talks about that battle of the spirit and the flesh. But if you're walking in the spirit, every day you're growing. You're drawing closer to Christ. So there really is no such thing as complacency. It's, it's actually a place of deception. But the thing that hit me as, as he went further on I really believe that people that struggle with complacency, any one of us can at any point in our life, it's because the enemy blinds us from what we really have coming to us. You know, if you understand the destiny and the blessings and what God has for you, you will fight for that. You will want that. And when he's able to deceive you and tell you that it's somebody else's blessing and well yes I mean that's though that's that group or that's that person then you you kind of just go yeah I, I mean my life's not going to amount to much I mean I, I want good things I, I bet I don't have some high calling everybody has a destiny that's special that's God created us for his purpose for his glory and for our high calling and so um so I want to encourage you to um to ask God to, to remind you in your prayer life and, and with everything that you're, you know, urging, God's urging you to go to the courts for. Remember, he, is, he wants great things for you. He wants to do great things. And to kind of be, oh, I'm fine, means you don't really believe that. And that's where the lie, that lie can keep you in a place of lukewarm where you're like, oh, I'm not going to live like a total wicked sinner. But I mean, I'm not really on fire for anything because, I mean, what does God have for me? And that's such a lie. That's such a dangerous place to be. So, um, so be careful because you do make a choice every day. 
and that declaration, that is your agreement. You're living your life in agreement with something every day. But what is it going to be? Is it going to be God's way or are you in agreement with the enemy's way, which is a fulfillment of the lust of our flesh? Um, that is, is really the choice we make every day in our yes, in our sanctification, yes. Um, I want you to pay close attention to the announcements today because they are very, very important.